0: Uh, if you have a Bible with you, or if you want to open your, the app on your phone, if you want to follow along, I'll have the verses on the screen as well. So, but today's lesson, is titled The Father from Uz, it's not pronounced "Oz," as some people have said, or Oz. Um, Frank Elbaum didn't base the land of Oz on our study verses today. So, uh, let's begin with a quick reading here. So, there was a man in the land of Uz, whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and very many servants. And so this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, and they would send and invite their sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. So before we get into um, where we are, it's, it's important to ask when we are, when this, um, this story of Job actually takes place. Um, and the, the events in this book have been dated as far back as maybe um, the time of the patriarch. So that's a time of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which um, is roughly about 2000 BC. And others will place this story at around 1400 BC, which is about 100 years from when scholars and historians think that the Exodus actually took place. Um, so any time maybe between Genesis chapter 11 Um, which starts with the Tower of Babel to the last chapter of Genesis might be the best time frame for when this story takes place. But regardless of where it takes place, Job's story is still something that's actually relevant for us today. So let's take a look at the first verse. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. So where was the land of Uz? So there's actually three possibilities. The first is is an area that's in modern day Syria not too far from Damascus and this area was known to be very lush and very fertile. The the second possible location is where Jordan, Iraq and Saudi Arabia intersect. And then there's a third location which is uh, northwestern Saudi Arabia. Um, This is just east of the Sinai Peninsula and this third location Um, actually offers the highest possibility of where Uz may have been located. This area is near Midian, uh, which some of you may remember is where Moses escaped to um, after he had killed the Egyptian guard in Exodus chapter 2. And this is where he meets his father-in-law Jethro, or his future father-in-law. And as you can see, this area is within raiding distance of the Chaldeans and also the Sabaeans to the south. And those are the two groups that would later in uh, chapter one of job attack job's uh, camel herds Um, and we also know something interesting about the land of uz is that there was a walled city that job lived in because he actually mentions a walled city in chapter 29 verses 7 and 8 but really the the exact location of uz um, it, it doesn't really matter because the the point that the author is trying to make is that this is not in israel not not in Israel of ancient days or, or even the location where Israel is now. Because simply be, uh, for the simple fact that Israel hadn't, hadn't been created yet as a nation during that time. And so this probably means that Job wasn't a Jew either, um, which means that his life story can really be anyone's life story, even ours. So we're told that his name was Job, um, and his name is almost as mysterious as where he lived. Uh, in he Uh, Job's name is actually Eob or Yilod um, which means the hated one or the persecuted one and another variant of his name um, possibly means where is my father as if to say where is my heavenly father and Job is actually mentioned in the Quran Uh, he goes by the name Awab which translates from Arabic into to return or to repent as in to return to God or to repent to God and ultimately, what the author here is trying to say, possibly, is that Job's name is non-Hebrew in origin. So what else are we told about Job? We're told that he was a blameless, he was blameless, and he was upright. So when most of us see, this, uh, see these words in reference to someone in the Bible, we start thinking, well, I, that's an unattainable goal, to be blameless, to be upright. But, and, and, and we worry that we can't reach that goal, but it, it's, it's actually not too high of a standard. Um, because the, even though the Hebrew word for blameless is tom, and, which, and the literal translation without adding any context at all means better than perfect, in the context of Job's life story, it means a person who is not engaged in willful sin. It means that if the person sinned, it wasn't a deliberate act. It means that, that Job made mistakes, but he didn't intend to, to make those mistakes. And it means, so then it means that he wasn't perfect. That means he was a human being just like the rest of us. And if Job was actually a perfect man and a sinless man, then he wouldn't have said in chapter 42 that I repent in, in dust and ashes to, to the Lord God. So the, wor- the word upright, um, that's the Hebrew word yoshar, this word re- uh, describes Job's integrity. It describes his morals. So he was a man who behaved uh, as much as possible in a way where neither God nor man can find any intentional fault in him and being upright also has a lot to do with Job's relationship with other people so a person with integrity we know is a person who is not double-minded they don't talk out of both sides of their mouth and they're not they're not hypocrites they don't criticize someone and run off and do the exact same thing moments later and Job also being upright means that he cared for the poor and he pursued justice he actually tells us in chapter 29 starting in verse 12 I delivered the poor who cried for help and the fatherless who had none to help him. I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. I put on righteousness and it clothed me. My justice was like a robe and a turban. I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy and I searched out the cause of him whom I did not know. I broke the fangs of the unrighteous and made him drop his prey from his teeth. And one reason why Job was like this was because he was a man who feared God and turned away from evil. And Job actually mentions this in chapter 28, verse 28. Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. So wisdom is tied to fear of the Lord. Because you can have a fear of the Lord. uh, When you have a fear of the Lord, um, that leads to a godly lifestyle and to moral behavior. And... uh, but uh, fear of the Lord, when we think of fear, means more than just a feeling of fear or terror or fright. It, it includes reverence and an awe for God, which is what Michael mentioned in his lesson two weeks ago. And the phrase turned away from evil means to walk away. It means to walk a straight path without swerving off, the, off course to the left or to the right. It means avoiding going down those dark paths of life, the, the, the paths, the evil paths of life. And this actually brings us to our first lesson point. Job had a proper fear of God and shunned evil. So there, there's, there's been a movement over the past few decades um, where, where it's said that fear of the Lord is just reverence and awe for God. It's, it's, it's a healthy respect for God. But really, you can have reverence and you can have respect for, for another person and they ask you to do something, you don't, you don't do what they say. If you don't fear God, then you won't turn away from evil. The fear part means understanding that if you disobey, there are going to be consequences. I mean, And we all know this, that if if you don't have enough money to pay for a speeding ticket, don't go driving down the road speeding and end up getting that ticket because there are other consequences. What if you don't have enough money to pay the ticket? What if you have to give up a few things like groceries or maybe rent to pay that ticket, depending on how fast you were going? Don't know what the laws are in Kentucky or Tennessee. Never been pulled over there yet. Probably not. Um But then but then when you think of the consequences, why are you doing it? Why are you doing it? Why are you doing it? And it's that fear of the consequences that forces us on a straight path. So when and that's a healthy fear there there, there's that that's the type of fear that will keep you alive from a physical threat that's a type of fear that will keep you alive from a spiritual threat and and god doesn't want us cowering in fear of a beating um god god wants us to respect who he is to respect his word to respect his sovereign will and to obey what he says and it's the obey part that usually gets forgotten by the modern church it's well okay these are the rules it's once, once saved, always saved, and that's it. But there's a different reality to that, and and all these things Job did, these things revealed what his character was like. But the the reason and the foundation of why Job did what he did is because he feared God and he stayed away from evil. He shunned evil. He rejected evil. So here's a few more interesting things about Job. They were born to him seven sons and three daughters. So we see here seven sons, three daughters. That adds up to a total of ten. And some of you may remember that ten to the ancient Jews was the number of completeness. Again, like the Ten Commandments. Or the fact that you needed ten heads of household in order to, to form a synagogue. You needed ten heads of household to actually read the Torah. Um, so that ten, 10 is a number of completeness. That's what the author is trying to tell us. And by today's standards, that's, that's a lot of children. Um especially for city dwellers like us, Um, but to people who lived 4,000 years ago, having a large family was actually considered a blessing from God. It was a sign that God had blessed that person. And the author of Job is trying to tell his listeners of the day that uh, in, in a way that they would understand culturally that this was a sign that God had richly blessed Job. And there's more, too, that shows us how richly blessed Job was. So here he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 teams of oxen, 500 female donkeys. He also had many servants. He was, in fact, the richest person in that entire area. And today we measure wealth by someone's bank account, someone's stock portfolio, or the car they drive, or or the the size of the home that they live in, or or the title that they have. Um, But in ancient times, wealth was measured by how much land a person had. And how many animals they had. And how many servants they had to tend to the animals and and work the land. So Job had all of these things abundantly. Um, Sheep could be used for food or clothing. And in that time in the distant past when pretty much everyone had just one piece of clothing to their name. Job was the one who was actually supplying the raw materials for their clothing. And he was probably shipping it out. So that meant that he was a businessman and he was a trader as well. Camels. Camels were considered ships of the desert. They were like our modern-day freight trains, our cargo ships, um, or, the, or, the, or the trucking system. That's what camels were in, in the ancient Near East. And they could move goods long distances, but they could also be used as food and as a source of milk. And the presence of 500 teams of oxen, that means that he was a farmer, um, and he was farming on a massive scale. Oxen were used for plowing and moving heavy loads and they could also be used as food. And more importantly, they were used as a burnt offering to to the Lord. And female donkeys, again, were, were prized for milk and they could also be used for transportation like camels. And Job probably had hundreds of servants and those servants' families working the land and living on his property. And the author ends the verse by telling us that Job was the greatest of all people of the East and all of this, these bring us to our second lesson point. Job did not let his wealth get in the way of his relationship with God. So Job knew the source of his wealth. God was a source of his wealth. And yet his wealth didn't turn him from God. So when Christians, typically when, when Christians rise to the top, they really need to keep themselves in check more than anyone else because people, Christians and non-Christians alike, who rise in in wealth or rise in reputation or rise in power then up here eventually and then eventually here you start to become bigger than God and then the scales of life they tip up more me less God more fame less God because the focus is on you Um, more money less God because you're spending most of your time earning earning money and then, then you are worshiping or maybe to put things in a more modern perspective More money, less family time. More power and fame, less health. More prestige, probably less genuine friends that you'll have surrounding you. And we all know that anything that gets between us and God is is an idol, just like we know that in our relationships with those who are special to us, the moment we place something between us and them, whether it's work, whether it's a hobby, whether it's a new toy, uh, whether it's a car, How long is that relationship going to last? Probably not that long. And so it is with our our relationship with God. Job would not let his occupation, he would not let his wealth, he would not let his possessions get in the way of his relationship with God. And and did you notice something interesting about, let me just roll back here. You notice something interesting about, uh, not this, but the previous verse that mentions his ten children. You, you may notice that the ten children were mentioned first, meaning that that was the biggest blessing. Um, it wasn't what he owned, the biggest blessing to Job, was his family. Uh, the people who, who God had given him to lead, to lead and to care for. So the blessing wasn't in his wealth, it wasn't in his livestock, uh, it wasn't in his employees, and it wasn't his reputation in us. The blessing was actually his family. So next we're told... His sons used to go in turn and feast in the house of each one on his day. And they would send word and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. So this is often misinterpreted as a sons having a party every single day. But that's not actually the case. The the reference his day means their birthdays. Um, So each son would hold a feast probably seven days long because that's how Jewish feasts were during that time um, at their homes on their birthday. But, but this doesn't imply that Job and his sons were, were holding wild, wild parties because of the presence of their sisters um, there. And the sisters were most likely single and still living at home uh, with their parents, which, which brings us to our, our third lesson point. Job and his wife raised a loving family. So, so we can see that they were a close family because the, the brothers invited their sisters over, um, despite the fact that they actually had their own homes. They still, and they were off living on their own, they still considered bringing their sisters over there to celebrate with them. They didn't neglect uh, their single sisters who were living at home. And Job and his wife, they were rich. They could have decided to pamper their children and give them anything they wanted and in turn could have produced a bunch of entitled, a bunch of spoiled, a bunch of selfish, a bunch of lazy children, but that's that's not the case. Uh, As a family, they learned to honor each other. And this testifies to how well Job and his wife raised their children. I mean, uh, kids are kids, they're going to have disagreements, but at the end of the day, we're all family, regardless of of what happens. And and we can also see that Job raised his sons right. Um, This was a male-dominated society, and basically women didn't have very many rights, and some were not treated very well. By, by men, um, but by including their sisters in the celebration show that this shows that Job's sons looked after their sisters, that they respected them as women and as family, that Job's sons were raised to care for, to respect, and to protect their sisters, and their sisters knew that they were cared for, that they were respected, and that they were protected. And this could have only come about as a result of how Job respected his wife and modeled how a man who fears God and shuns evil should treat his wife. Moving on to the next set of verses. So when the days of their feasting were over, Job would send for them and consecrate them, rising early in the morning and offering burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Job did this at all such times. So here's, here's another hint that the account of Job probably takes place before the exodus. During the time of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, there were no priests or religious leaders. Uh, the Levitical line and the laws that were set up um, and established, um, that didn't happen until God led the children of Israel out of Egypt. So during this time in history, the fathers served as the religious leader of the family. And some of you may recall from the lesson a few weeks ago, the parable of the ten virgins, that we know we we can't give our faith to someone else. So, too, we can't repent for someone else, but we can pray for them. So Job is doing something similar here. He's interceding for his children. Um, We see that he calls them over, and he's calling all of his children over to his home to offer sacrifices on their behalf because he's not sure that um, even though on the outside it looked like they may have been honoring God, um, he doesn't know what they, what they were thinking in their hearts if they were honoring God, God with their hearts. And so he offers a sacrifice for each of his seven sons in order to make them ceremonially clean. Um, so why the sons and, and not the daughters? It's, it's possible because this was a patriarchal society, um, that it was the man uh, or the head of the household who, who answered for the, for the family, so Job would have automatically offered sacrifices for those living in his home, his wife, his daughters, because they were under his roof. But his sons lived in their own homes, and yet Job wasn't obligated to, but he still did offer sacrifices for the um, on their behalf anyway. And these sacrifices were meant to cover up or atone for sins that the sons may have committed while they were eating and drinking. And, and this type of sacrifice actually goes back to the days of Noah. When the ark fi- finally settled on land, Noah actually offers a similar type of sacrifice to the Lord. Um, Here's an interesting paraphrase by Lloyd J. Ogilvie um, describing how he sees this scene of Job and his sons. Ogilvie writes, they gather and Job, the patriarch, the family head, offers a burnt offering for each of them. Later in history, in the history of Israel, a burnt offering would be the most expensive form of sacrifice in which the whole animal is consumed. It pictures the hot anger of God burning up the animal in the place of the worshiper, whose sins would have made them liable to be burned up in the presence of God. We can imagine Job doing this for them one at a time. This one is for you, he says, as he lights the fire and the animal is consumed. And the son or daughter watches and thinks, that is what would have happened to me if there had not been a sacrifice then the next son this one is for you and so on until all the children were covered by sacrifice so why the necessity for the sacrifice it may be that his sons have sinned and cursed god in their hearts so the interesting the literal translation in hebrew for cursed god in their hearts is actually blessed god in their hearts and if you have a study bible or you have a bible with footnotes there might be a notation about this in there And it seems like a misinterpretation of the verse, but there's a deeper context um, here that's hinted at where the proper translation based on the context of the entire verse is cursed God in their hearts. And what the author intends for us to see is that outwardly, it may seem like they are blessing God, but inwardly, we don't know. And cursing God in this context isn't um, blaspheming God's name or making oaths in God's name that you don't intend to follow through with. Cursing God's name in this context could mean that when, when they were feasting, they may have been bragging and claiming that everything they had and all that they accomplished and all that they achieved was through their own hands. And they were the ones responsible for, their, for, for all of their accomplishments. Um, when the truth is, as we know, that it was God's hand that gave them all those things. Um, but, beca- but this is what happens when sometimes we enjoy celebrating sometimes we enjoy feasting sometimes you're on that sugar high or some type of celebratory high after a victory and there's that tendency for us to say I did this this is all me these abilities are all mine when the reality is is that God gives us the blessing to do the things that we do so for Job's children sacrifices are required just in case and we we see here that Job did this at all such times which means that he did it habitually Every single year or maybe after the birthday celebrations, he does this in order to atone for the sins, for any hidden sins of the heart. And while it was habit, Job did this um, out of habit, and that habit was done out of a love and a fear for God. And in, in ancient times, 4,000 years ago and even before that, but, and up to the time when the Lord Jesus Christ walked the earth, outward religious duty was more important than an inner devotion that comes from the heart but our god god the father god the son god the holy spirit demands an inner devotion from his believers from all of us who were who are followers of the lord jesus christ uh, which brings us to our final lesson point job knew that an outward appearance of godliness doesn't mean that someone has a godly heart and. Job knew, just like we know, people aren't perfect. We will do, we have done, and we'll continue to do really dumb things. We'll say hurtful things. We'll say crass things. Uh, we'll behave arrogantly. We'll behave proudly. And sometimes we'll, conduct, we'll fail to conduct ourselves in, in a righteous manner, especially when we're riding high, especially when we're celebrating and we just don't think. But an, an outward appearance really doesn't reveal what's going on on the inside. People can be in church, and they can raise their hands, and they can sing hallelujah, and they, they can be the loudest one in church, um, and then you catch them outside of church, and it's like they don't even remember what the sermon was about. They don't even remember, and they don't even remember who, who they've spoken with. They don't, they don't remember anything that was talked about in church. They may remember the songs. That might be about it. So what's going on inside? is more important than what we let people see on the outside Um, so job's life shows us that a heart that loves and fears and imitates god's heart is more important than religious exercise and ritual the things that other people see so i want to leave you with three questions so the first one is are you rich in character like job was So an inward righteousness or righteousness of the heart is what God is after for all of us. This type of righteousness only comes about with the leading of the Holy Spirit. Now, any attempt by us to create a a righteous life on our own leads to failure because when we start to do things on our own and we set up our own guideposts and guidelines for our lives, then our salvation depends on faith plus works. And and then there's a lot of churches that tend to preach that and have that wrong today salvation as we know is through faith in Christ and Christ alone and if we think we can save ourselves through works then we effectively cancel the saving power of the cross of Christ and Christ Christ's death on the cross of Calvary and it's it's Job's inward character his his richness of love and fear of God that allowed him to withstand all of the tragic attacks of satan and the accusations and the blame that if you if you've read most of the book of job you'll know this comes after our study verses where everyone just turns against him his wife turns against him his three friends turn against him and he's lost everything but because of this foundation that he had he was able to withstand the those assaults of the enemy now he didn't come out unscathed but he came out and he he pass through that trial in the end. Um, Whereas let's say a a person who's rich in wealth, a person who has a lot of things, a person who has a great reputation or or a person that's rich in themselves and sees themselves as self-sufficient has a weak foundation. And when reality comes and takes your life and just flips it upside down, the things like wealth, like materialism, like your reputation will not see you through that type of tragedy but a person with a godly character and a person who has integrity and a person who fears God and obeys God, that person can withstand the earthquakes, the tornadoes, the accidents, the breakups, the stock market crashes of life. Second question, do you lead your family spiritually? So spiritual responsibilities like prayer, like spending time in God's word and studying God's word are an individual responsibility for Christians we know that but once you become the leader of a household once you have people you need to take care of you have to pass these habits on to them the prayer the study of God's Word the the study and the research of Scripture and then coupled with a love and a fear of God needs to become a habit for you and your family and it's your responsibility as a head of household to lead your family through that and I know Audrey and Oliver aren't here um they're they're the youngest ones in our church um eventually they're going to start their own journeys in life and the foundation of prayer and study that their parents have laid will will be the foundation that they're going to lay for their own families in the future as well Uh, because it's the family leaders who set the godly example for their children we know that and family leaders pray for their children too just as job offered sacrifices for his children Intercessory prayer is almost like the modern form of the sacrifice that's talked about because we're interceding in prayer for our children. We're interceding in prayer for our families. We're interceding in prayer for the brothers and sisters in Christ. Maybe just in case they did something that we can't see. And finally, are you a good steward with all that God has entrusted you. So no matter what God has given you in life and, and may give you in the future, whether you live in an apartment, whether you live in a house, whether you work behind a cash register or you're the head of a of, of a company, or whether you take the bus to work or whether you or whether you drive to work or, or whether your your voice uh, you raise your voice in song or whether you have the the ability to write a song or you have the ability to teach, or you have the ability to minister to those who just instantly walk, walk in through the church doors, who, who are hurting. God has given all of you, all of us, these abilities to use for his glory. So use it well, use it wisely. And if God has given you a family, then use your authority wisely. Use your money wisely. Use your time wisely because time, if you think about it, is the most precious of God's gifts and time is the only thing we cannot buy back Uh, you can buy anything else back you can buy back you can buy a car you can get a new house get a new whatever but time once it's gone it's gone and so as as stewards in god's service we need to understand that god provides everything including the air we breathe and like job we're we're living in good times mostly and bad times can drop on us like a summer storm in the midwest um, but even if that happens we can all say like Job in chapter 1 uh, chapter 1 verse 21 the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away blessed be the name of the Lord or or as the the original writer of the book of Job originally intended in in Hebrew where he used the covenant name of God the name that God wanted Moses to refer to him as It's the the divine name that's represented in all of our English Bibles as capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That name is Yahweh, which means I am who I am. So if we were there 4,000 years ago, it may have sounded like this. Yahweh gave and Yahweh has taken away. Blessed be the name of Yahweh. So in all that you do, blessed be the name of our Lord God. And when you leave here today, bless the name of Yahweh by being good stewards of all that he's given you. Lead with wisdom if you're a leader. Lead with love that comes with a fear of the Lord and a love of the Lord. And strive for a richness in character that Job modeled for us.